Welcome to the Fi Investors Podcast, helping you achieve financial independence through real estate investing, one episode at a time. We talk about personal finance, mindset, and real estate investing. Whether you're a rookie or looking to scale your portfolio, we're here to provide you with the tactics and actionable steps to achieve your goals. Here are your hosts, Diego Corzo and Ward Mahoney. What is up, Ward? How are you? Are you ready for another Five Friday? I am ready, man. We have a really exciting topic today. Super excited to get into it. Um, yeah, man, this will be a great conversation. Looking forward to it. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. So today, uh, one of the things that we're going to be talking about is partnerships. Uh, a lot of people know that um, that I own around 62, 63 doors uh, since I just bought the condo in Puerto Rico. Um, and, uh, but four or five of those are just in my name. The rest, I've done it with business partners. And, um, how, how many doors do you own? Right now I'm at seven doors across four properties seven. in three different states. And how many partnerships? I'm in two different partnerships. Exactly. Three, three different Three different actually. partnerships. Yes. Yes, exactly. Right. So you own the triplex by yourself and then you own your other three properties, uh, with business partners. Correct. So um, one of the things that that is very important for people that uh, want to scale faster is not necessary, but for people that want to scale faster or focus at least on their, what I call their unfair advantage, is through partnerships. Absolutely. And it's something that you've really kind of, I would say, uh, gotten really, really good at, especially at identifying when you're going to work well with someone, just figuring your, knowing your strengths, your unfair advantage, and then going out and finding someone else that has a complimenting unfair advantage. Um, can you walk me through your first partnership, how you found that partner and how it's currently going? Oh, yes, for sure. So interestingly enough, um, the partnerships, and this is something that I guess I haven't talked about much, but the first business, the first partner on the real estate side was my dad. Mm. Um, I was trying to buy a house in, um, like one of my first house hacks here in Austin. Yeah. And because of my DACA status, I couldn't qualify. I was under contract. They denied me. So then I called my dad, uh, super bummed, really sad. And he was like, well, why don't we just buy one in Florida? Now this is, um, this is back in 2013, so okay. prices were a little bit different, <laughs> and uh, so we were able to find a property in Florida for around $60,000. Wow. We cannot find that anymore, right? <laughs> uh, but what ended up happening is I was able to buy that property cash mm -hmm. with my dad. We partnered up, and then we borrowed uh, $10,000 from my buddy Pascal, and uh, so that was my first uh, deal. Right. Awesome. Um, but with that comes up like different things of uh, what I call like unfair advantages mm -hmm. of people. Right. Of partnerships that one can get into to complement each other. Right. Uh, but to backtrack on the, on that deal, because it's it, it's really cool. We were able to get it for 60,000. Mm -hmm. uh, my dad, what he did was because he knew the market. Right. Uh, we were able to get um the main house rented and then he turned the garage into an efficiency like a studio Smart. and so we were able to rent the main house for nine hundred dollars and then the efficiency for like 450. wow 
Yeah. Wow. So that was almost a 2% rule. Exactly. Wow. Exactly. For anyone that doesn't know, a 1% rule is when your income uh, month to month, uh, your gross income month to month is equal to or greater than 1% of the home's value for whatever you purchased it for. Right. So Diego here is hitting almost a 2%er. That's freaking amazing, man. Yes. Where is it now? So I don't know where the value of the property is now, but a couple of years ago, uh, I believe it was two years ago, mm -hmm. uh, my dad, because he's like, look, you're going to keep this house no matter what in the future. Uh, <laughs> so let me buy your portion uh, based on what the value is at now. So my dad paid me $50,000. So that 25,000, I told my dad, look, just give me 50. Like, let me just double the money. You can keep the house, the income, everything. And then, uh, and then when I mean later, I'll inherit the property, right. Or whatever, if my dad sells it or whatever, but at least, yeah. uh, for right now, um, he gave me, I, I doubled my money and I put that money to work. And Amazing. I don't know in what other property, but I put it to work. <laughs> <laughs> One of the 65 doors. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome, man. So walk me through the four unfair advantages that a partner uh, can bring to the table. Yes, this is, uh, this is important. So the four different uh, unfair advantages, right? Because everybody has one. And what we're, we're going to talk about the duplex that, that we did, right, that we bought. But for, for people to know is your unfair advantage can be money, number one can be knowledge or experience of the market, mm -hmm. can be time and your network. Mm -hmm. So number one, money, knowledge, experience, time, and the network. And those are the things that as I look back and I connect the dots, those are the things that have helped me in the past, being able to, um, basically being able to partner up with the right people and for yeah. us to complement each other because everybody was at different stages. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. So for example, just kind of going a little bit deeper to the story with your dad, right? What were those unfair advantages that you two brought to the table? Yes. So I brought in the money and a little bit of the experience because I knew uh, even though it was my first property, I knew how to analyze the deals and I knew like when to spot a good deal, yeah, right? Yeah. Now, my like how to analyze the numbers. My dad brought in 50% of the money, right? Yeah. Uh, but he also brought in the time mm -hmm. because he was the one that was looking at properties and he was going to be the boots on the ground. Right. Uh, and uh, he also brought the network because at that point he was going to be able to have the connections to get the contractors to get the hvac person and all of that stuff gotcha. um i don't remember if we bought that one through with a realtor or if we bought it um like for sale by owner uh but at that point when the partnership that i had with my dad uh, we were 50 50 partners and i was living in austin texas right so i didn't have the opportunity to be the boots on the ground. So he took on that role. He nice. was the one that managed the tenants. He managed the property and all of that stuff. Very nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Awesome. And then obviously it's kind of a, uh, a funny ending there where it being your dad, you just, <laughs> you said, Hey, only <laughs> give me 50 K back and, and that'll be the end of the partnership. Um, did you end up doing any other deals with him, with, with your dad? With my dad, uh, we bought a couple of more properties. Uh, and it's funny cause this is like, Back in uh, back in 2000, I think 2016, 2017, mm -hmm. this is when my brother was wholesaling properties in Jacksonville. Mm -hmm. But 
the price points, we were buying properties at $25,000 to $30,000 wow, or even less. That's crazy. Uh, we actually bought one at 22 and the other one was at 26. And what ended up happening was that my brother kept on, uh, I know, <laughs> was that my brother kept on competing. Like like he, he would say, hey, Diego, do you want to buy this property? And then I remember I was with my dad at the time and my dad was submitting an offer on that house too. And no like, yeah, and so my brother was like, why don't you just buy it together? Because I have this other property, then just buy both if you guys have that amount of money. So we ended yeah. up getting two and we partnered up like like that. But then later we sold the properties too. Very nice. Yeah, yeah. after they doubled. So I, I, I can go in a lot of different ways here, but when do you know you're actually ready to partner? I think a lot of our listeners have probably done one, two, three deals and now they're saying I'm ready to scale um, so talk to me, when do you think someone is actually ready to scale? Yes. Um, that's a really good question. And I feel like you have to get to know, like the more people that you know, the more opportunity that you'll be able to to run into into potentially getting those partners, mm -hmm. right? Is you have to have more, you have to have conversations to make sure that you not only complement each other based on those like unfair advantages, yeah. but I also feel like values too. Mm -hmm. And end goal, right? For my dad and I, we've always been more cash flow heavy. Yeah. Like we invest for cash flow. Um, so that's that's one of the reasons why um we decided to make those investments in Florida, like in Jacksonville or in Bradenton, which is where we bought our first property. Right. You guys were aligned. So let me ask you this. Obviously, as time goes on, as market changes, um, as the market changes, we go through different cycles, as do people, right? Mm -hmm. And as do their priorities. Yes. Um, how do you protect yourself from not getting in with a partner where potentially down the line their priorities change mm -hmm. or maybe they take on another partnership, maybe they deprioritize your partnership. How do you protect yourself? Yes, um, those are definitely good questions. And at the end of the day, is those are things that will potentially happen. And it's important to have those types of conversations, but also being able to understand the end goal of those partnerships, right? Mm -hmm. And then when 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 those types of um, not misalignment, but when those types of changes happen, you have to have an open conversation about those things, yeah. right? Um, there's been times, for example, where uh, in the second partnership that I had, we sold the property. Uh, because the property had appreciated in value, and the partner, one of the partners, wanted to um, wanted to use the money for something else. Yeah. So he came up to us, and he told us, "Hey, would it be okay if we sell the property?" And then, in looking at the numbers, we all agreed that it was fine uh, to sell it at that time. Uh, we could have easily said, "Hey, let's wait a year or whatever," but uh, we wanted to have a win-win. And uh, there were also other deals that I may have wanted to do too, that when that opportunity came up, it happened. Mm, I like that. Okay. Yeah. But it's important to have those open conversations uh, and understand too that there, like for, for example, there are some deals that I've done uh, that are more uh, less cash flow, uh, but more appreciation yeah. or just putting my money to like on hold to work. Right. Yep. Um, because I have different different strategies. Right. 
And partners might have be like, hey, let's buy this property just so that we can do, let's say, a cost segregation and bonus depreciate the property as much as we can right away, uh, even though it may not cash flow as much. Yeah, I got you. Oh, that's cool, man. So going a little bit deeper and talking about the actual structure of a partnership and how to protect your, you know, protect the exposure that you're taking on with that, with that potential partner. Mm -hmm. Walk me through the importance of an operating agreement. Yes. How you go about making one, the questions that you go about asking to create one, mm -hmm. and just overall the importance of, of the document. Yeah, so the operating agreement is a very important document because it basically states all of the in and outs of the company, uh, of like the partnerships, of what, like of the capital that you guys put in, of how much, for example, depreciation each of the partners may take. Uh, mm -hmm. Also, and you said depreciation. Depreciation, yes. So the tax implications, right? Yeah. Uh, I didn't know until later um, that you can actually, even though you might own uh, the properties, let's say 50-50, if you do a cost segregation, one partner can take more depreciation than another partner. Uh, but all of that has to be stated on the operating agreement. Mm -hmm. So stuff like that is very important. Also, what happens when you sell the property? Like, what are those implications um, to decide, um, like, what happens? How is it done? Is it done? Like, if, if a partner says, hey, I want to sell the property, do you put on the operating agreement that we may not need to sell? I can just buy your portion. Yeah. Right. Because maybe I do want to keep that property and maybe you don't. So then I keep so then I buy your portion. And what's important to note is like, OK, if you buy my portion, do you take out uh, expenses that you would that we would have paid if we would have sold in a regular market? Like right. the uh, like realtor fees and like taxes and stuff like that. So those are all things that are super important, like the exit strategies and having those conversations in the beginning. Mm, I like that a lot. So for anyone that may be in a current partnership, but did not do the operating agreement, mm -hmm. what's your advice to them right now? So that has happened to me, right? Because of we, I learned from experience, I'm not perfect or anything, right? And, <laughs> and the more that like I have eight years of experience from that perspective of investing in real estate, and there's always something new to learn. Right. So uh, so there's been some that I didn't have operating agreements and then we did it later. So it's just yep. a matter of having those conversations and putting one together um, based on the fact that you don't have one now, but having those conversations of, OK, from now on, what does that partnership look like? Right. Yes. Right. Yes. But there's always been like opening conversations from the beginning. It's just that we didn't have specific things in writing. Uh, but we were both on the same page. I love it. I love it. So I feel like this advice regarding the operating agreement is both strategic, is both strategy and also very tactical. Mm -hmm. can, can we get into more of the, you know, say, for example, if you have four different people that you could potentially partner with, mm. maybe you have the you have the deal and you have to think, do I want to go with person A, B, C or D? And they've all got a different, you know, one person is has the money advantage. One person has a knowledge advantage. Mm -hmm. One person has time. One person has the network. Yes. That, which one do you go man, with? That is a really good question. And it really depends uh, which one do I need the most at that time. Because, mm. for example, my unfair advantages have changed through time. In the beginning, mm. I had a lot of time. 
back when I was like 24, 23, 20, like 25, right? Uh, I had a lot of time and not that much money. So, um, so what I did is I partnered up with people that had the money and then I was the boots on the ground. I was the one managing the property. I was the one finding the deals, analyzing and everything. Somebody else just brought the money. Right. So it'll be a little bit different because now let's say if somebody says, Hey Diego, I have $2 million to deploy in Austin, Texas. Would you want to partner up with me? I know that he has the money. I will more than likely be the boots on the ground or we have to outsource that, right? So mm, there's been okay. times that I just tell them, hey, look, I have the knowledge. I can provide the knowledge and the experience and the network, yeah, yeah. but I don't have the time. So we either like we definitely put a property management in place or we work with somebody that will be able to be looking at deals and everything. And then I come in with the knowledge of buying the property or maybe structuring the deal. Right. Yeah. But it's important to know that for other people, like it does change through time. Um, now, if we're talking about uh, me investing in another area, for example, I want to make sure that I might be the money guy in that sense. And I need to partner up with people that do have the boots on the ground, that do have the connections and all of that stuff. Um, there is one thing that uh, we learned from. Daniel DeReal on one of the Fi Investor calls. What a great call. Right? Uh, the Millionaire Case Study, which happens uh, once a month where I interview a millionaire on how they made uh, not only their first million, but who they had to become and where they are yeah. right now. Uh, but he mentioned the difference of um, communicative knowledge versus revealed knowledge. And I want to invest with people that have revealed knowledge. What that is, or would 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 you mind explaining what communicative yeah. and revealed? Of course. So revealed knowledge is really looking at someone's track record, mm -hmm. making sure if they, for example, maybe a GP, um, you know, making sure that they've done. If you're looking at Airbnb, you know, they've done thirty Airbnbs within that market. Mm -hmm. um, not only have they done it, but they've shown you their pro formas. They have followed those pro formas, and that now they follow the same process when they pull up a new pro forma for a deal that they may be pitching you. Uh, communicated knowledge is basically pitching a deal without that track record and making sure that when you do move forward with a partner, not only do not only can they speak intelligently on the subject, but they've had success four or five times um, at a minimum. Mm -hmm. And also going through different market cycles and everything that is now crucial because we see a lot of partnerships uh, just going through rough times right now. <laughs> so make sure that that whoever you go with definitely has that revealed and communicative knowledge and not just one of the two. Exactly, because communicative knowledge is more like reading reading books, listening to podcasts, all of that stuff. And while that is needed to start, right, mm. uh, there are certain levels of, like, of trust, too, that you can give. Or maybe for one that has communicative knowledge, you just give them a little bit of money or a little bit in the beginning and more money to the people that have the revealed knowledge. Uh, but those are things that I will be looking in that example that you asked with the four different partners. Um, it will be what what is their knowledge on those markets, their track record, and reveal knowledge. That will be ideal. I like yeah. it. I like yeah. it. Now, uh, let's talk about on the partnership side yeah. on uh, the duplex that you and I bought back in yes, uh, September of last year. Yeah, what a fun deal. Yes. Can you explain a little bit about how that deal came about? Um, and maybe we can talk about how we structured that loan and all of that stuff. 
Absolutely. So uh, we actually, or excuse me, I saw an Instagram post from a realtor here in Austin um, that was trying to sell a seller-financed duplex. Uh, he listed it up, gave the price, and I saw it actually off an Instagram story. Sent him a DM, uh, asked, you know, would would you be interested in, in, would the seller be interested in doing any kind of seller financing? Um, good lesson learning, good lesson to learn here, which is why I'll go a little bit deeper into it. Uh, originally, the realtor uh, who is representing the seller wasn't sure, but he went to him. And it turns out that that seller had actually already seller financed one or two other properties out of his portfolio. And then it was under contract twice, obviously fell out of contract those two times, and it was just about to hit back to the market. And we just got it right then. Mm -hmm. So it was a seller finance duplex. We got it through Instagram. It actually did hit the MLS. I want to say it was maybe a day or two days on the MLS. Uh, we submitted an offer with two different options. Um, I don't remember exactly what the two options were, but I know uh, what we have now on it. Um, we ended up getting this duplex for three ninety five. dollars asking was four thirty. dollars We bought in September of 22. Um, the interest rate on it is on a 40-year amortization schedule at 3% interest with 7% down on a 10-year balloon. Yes. For anyone that doesn't know, a 10-year balloon means that the full loan amount at that point is due sometime between now and 10 years. There's no prepayment penalties with that. We have a 3% interest on a 40-year amortization schedule. What that means is that we pay 3% interest on the term of the loan. The term is still on an amortization schedule of 40 years, and that amortization is just the schedule of payments. Yes. Right. right? So we got our monthly payment down as low as we possibly can to make sure that we're cash flowing, which we are. And then our goal here is to try to refi or sell it or 1031 it into a bigger asset once the value appreciates. Yes. And one of the important things is that we bought that in a partnership. Uh, and this was where I fronted all the down payment and the rehab cost. And then um, and then you're the boots on the ground for that perspective. You were the one that found the deal. It is more like your time working on the deal, right? And then I come in as one of my unfair advantages of being able to put down the down payment and not having any 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 issues of concern. And if they pull my credit or they needed to see assets and stuff like that, all of that was going to be fine, right? So mm -hmm. that's why that was a very good example of how partnerships can complement each other. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Absolutely. And the other thing too, is we talked about depreciation. Mm -hmm. So you receive 90% of the depreciation, which is more valuable to you because you, your income is higher than mine. Um, so that's kind of another interesting way to structure it and make it a little bit more appealing for the capital partner coming into a partnership. Exactly. Exactly. So that's why it's very important to understand what the end goal of that buyer, I mean, like of that partner is because sometimes it may not be the cash flow that they're needing right now. Sometimes they might need more of the depreciation and you can negotiate that with, with that partner. Uh, one of the things that I always get as a question is like, so what do you value? Like, do you give more, more income, like more of the asset of the equity um, based on the more money that they put down or the tax and all that stuff. And all of that I say is very unique um, to that situation and to that partnership, because you can always grow into more, opportunities, right? There might right. be deals that I'm willing to take a smaller cut uh, because I know that in the future we can grow into bigger properties or bigger deals. Yeah. And so having a vision for that, having that trust, uh, that abundance mindset from that perspective that is like, okay, I'm going to take a smaller cut now, but I know that in the future, if this goes well, 
we can create so much more. Yeah, I love that. So let me ask you this. Is it better uh, as, you know, thinking of, of someone that has, you know, time, they've got a little bit of capital and they also have that, that, that market expertise, that local market expertise. Is it better for them to assume multiple partnerships or is it better to go all in per se with one or two partners and then scale throughout that model, right? Because you could scale with multiple partnerships or you could scale with one or two partnerships. Yes, it is a lot easier to do it with less partners. And I have learned that throughout my journey. Uh, now I'm trying to like do less partnerships from that perspective. Like I would prefer um, that, for example, if you brought me a deal, I would prefer to just plug and play into what we have created for economies of scale than trying to invest in a brand new market and talking to like setting up like a new LLC and all of this other stuff uh, that will also bring more expenses into the mix, right? Um, so I would prefer to do a plug and play for economies of scale. So as you also do that, though, you also pull on more exposure. So if something were to happen to that relationship, you know, especially being the capital yes. partner, you're at a greater risk. Mm -hmm. How do you diversify that risk? By going into separate, by, by going into more <laughs> LLCs. No, but at the end of the day is just, um, man, diversifying that risk. I would say pulling an umbrella policy too mm. uh, on that LLC so that if anything happens, right, on the, on just in case you get sued or stuff like that is having, having an umbrella policy yeah. for the assets that are within that LLC. So for example, mm -hmm. I have, uh, I have an umbrella policy myself and I have with, other LLCs, we have that as well. Um, and that's more like a commercial umbrella policy. Mm -hmm. But those are things that I do to protect my assets from that perspective. Mm -hmm. I love it. So I have to ask this question as well, just because, um, you know, sometimes it does hit the fan. If a partnership goes sour or, you know, say you've been in business with someone for four or five years and all of a sudden they stop maintaining the property or whatever, mm -hmm. right, whatever it may be. And it's time, it's very clear that it's time to stop the partnership. Mm -hmm. What do you do? You definitely have to go back to the operating agreement and see what are the exit strategies that you guys set for yourself. You have to have a heart to heart conversation with that partner to let him know, hey, this is what we had agreed and this is where we are now. What happened, mm -hmm. right? And making sure that they are aware uh, that for example, if that partner dropped the ball, that they are aware of what happened. And if there needs to be some sort of consequences of like, hey, uh, you made us lose, let's say, $10,000 because you weren't paying attention in doing your part. Yeah. Um, if we sell the property, you owe me that, let's say we owe 50-50%, right? That property and you made us lose 10000 I would give me 5,000 to cover the money that I lost and we can mm -hmm. split everything else 50-50. Like I, I would see. still like to figure out a win-win from that situation. Uh, but of course, making sure that we have the operating agreement. Um, and cause sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes it's better to, uh, to make sure that you save the relationship um, than just doing it for the money. Cause burning the bridge. Yeah, exactly. Now, if, burning the bridge is something that the other partner doesn't really care, mm -hmm. then it is what it is, right? Yeah. From that perspective. And uh, and you just have to move on, yeah. right? But I would prefer to save the relationship rather than just going for the money. There's always more ways to make money. 
I, I like that a lot. So kind of a follow-up question, and this is more specific to you, and I'm, I'm excited to hear your answer here. So if you, you know, right now you've done a lot of residential deals. You've, you've gotten a lot of single families. You've done a few syndications with GPs uh, and multifamily deals. Um, and then you've done a lot of STRs, which still falls within the, you know, within the residential model. You're at 65 units, 64 units. Around there. Right. You've got a few million in equity. In oh, eight years, you're yeah. crushing it. Yeah. If you want to scale where you're at right now, mm -hmm. what kind of partnerships do you create and what asset classes do you go after? Mm, I would go to scale. I would, um, based on my experience, right? Like now it's where I would be able to leverage somebody's revealed knowledge and my expertise and my following and maybe the trust, let's say from my mm -hmm. partners that I've had and invest into invest with somebody that would take me into a bigger level of scale. Mm -hmm. Now that's one, if I wanted to invest with one person, right? But the other way that I can scale is by doing 1031 exchanges. So yes. Yes. Ooh, yes. So let's say word that you and I are like, wanting to scale, let's say it's three years down the road, the property has appreciated from when we bought it at 395, let's say it's at 500 now, as an example. Now we can take that additional $100,000, right, that we have plus right. whatever we pay down in equity um, on, on the loan to be able to now have that $100,000 and maybe put that money into another, maybe it's an A unit or a six unit. So now we're going from two units to six and uh, and then we're doing a 1031 exchange, right? Right. So right. that's something that um, that one can do to, to scale. And again, the partners need to make sure that they are aware of that as a, as a goal, right? And know right. that, hey, now it's the time because, for example, I've I have a property that's a quadplex, for example, in McAllen, and I could tell my business partner, I'm like, "Yo, let's sell this quadplex. We have a hundred in equity, and let's put that down on a sixteen unit, right?" So now we're playing Monopoly, which is pretty cool. We get four right. little houses, and then we get a hotel, right? Right, right. <laughs> so, so that's another it. way to scale. So that that was a really good question. Um, so to recap, it will be ten thirty one exchange to scale with that same partner or finding a new partner uh, and then leverage the connections that I have to raise money to be able to leverage somebody else's unfair advantage and be able to scale that way. 100%. And kind of going back on that last point, your ability to actually pull the equity and sell the asset is going to be in is going to be defined in the operating agreement that you've written probably four or five years ago mm -hmm. or more mm -hmm. or a year ago, whatever. So it all comes back to the importance of that operating agreement. Exactly. And the aligned values uh, of the partnership. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that was really good. Yeah. Last last question for you. How do you be a good partner? Hmm. Number one, be a good person. <laughs> that, <laughs> that, that's number one. Uh, but number two is have that accountability of if you're going to be putting your roles, right? I would say making sure, like to be a good partner, I want to make sure that I'm doing my strengths mm -hmm. and you're doing your strengths. Yeah. It will be yeah. a disservice if I know that your strengths are, let's say, um, being a handyman, 
Yep. Like yep. doing the contracting work, like doing the paint and like, let's say that you're a rock star with contractors, everything. It will be a disservice if I'm like, Ward, now you're going to be doing all the spreadsheets. And yep. you're like, dude, I don't know. Like, what are like we doing yeah, here? like <laughs> I, I can, I can be the one that's doing the, the labor, yeah. right? Um, hands on labor. And then I put you on, uh, on the spreadsheets that's me not being a good partner because i know that i'm not giving you something that works to your strengths right, or vice right. versa right if you tell me diego you're gonna manage these this deal like in one in ways that i don't know yeah. um i think that that is a disservice because we could go faster we can do better uh by me focusing on like what i would call my zone of genius uh or my expertise um yeah. so that's one man this is a good question word uh the other one is as i mentioned earlier like being a good person uh accountability like if i'm going to tell you hey i'm going to be going there to open the door for the contractor at x day at x time um i expect that to happen not hey i had to reschedule because i'm doing this now and the contractor said it was okay but now we're not going to be able to do the like the renovations let's say as fast right? right uh i it would be more like respecting what you said your say do ratio has to be almost perfect say do ratio exactly exactly um and that's it i guess i'll add one more to yes, there yes please that I actually learned on my one of my first ever rat race to a five treats out in uh, where was it? Pensacola, uh, Gulf Shores, Gulf, Al yeah, yeah, Gulf Shores, Alabama. Uh, you have to do what's right for the business mm. and, not, and not for you personally, because that probably will not be the best thing for the other partner. Mm -hmm. Yes. So that was that was one thing, which also goes when you go into business with someone and you do choose your partners, you should absolutely try to find someone that's on an equally that's on the is on a equal financial playing field as you mm -hmm. um you know similar risk tolerance etc so you don't end up you know one person you know having a completely different financial background than someone else yes and sometimes that's really hard to do right mm -hmm. uh because of the fact that um so that's true right but it's also on what is the vision that you can take on with that mm -hmm. partner, right? Because if I know that, for example, that you're really good at the at like renovations, yeah. and yeah. you've done this for other people as a contractor, right? And now I want to bring you in as a partner um, to run the renovations for deals that you and I can do. Is maybe you may not be at that same financial position, but you're the same at that knowledge position of what the value that you can bring to the partnership. So yes, I totally agree with you there. Um, but yeah, doing what's best for the business is, uh, it's really important. Cool. Awesome. Well, Diego, this was an absolute blast, man. Kind of diving into partnerships, what makes them good, the four areas of expertise. Uh, this was awesome, man. Thank you for your time and hope you have a great rest of your evening. Yes, sir. Ward, thank you very much. And welcome everybody to another Financial Freedom Five Fridays. Let's go. Thank you for listening to the Fi Investors Podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes and share this with a fellow real estate investor who you think would find value in what we do. Until next time.